it's a lot. We carry a super heavy load and we need rest, but rest is hard. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. And today I am joined by parent Jill Arneson to talk about the chronic sleep deprivation that so many of us face as parents of children with disabilities. And oh, there are so many reasons that we lose sleep. And it goes beyond the most obvious reason of having a child that requires nighttime medical care and not having nighttime nursing. In this episode, Jill and I chat about the reasons she hasn't slept since the birth of her now seven-year-old daughter, Kate, and I have no doubt that you will relate with those reasons to at least some level. This episode was originally planned to be packed with tips and advice of how to get more sleep and then to have a bit of solidarity in there. But with a scheduling miscommunication, our sleep expert didn't join the interview. So it became an episode packed with solidarity and with a few tips in there, which actually I'm super pleased with. And I think it was meant to be. And I loved this conversation. And I know that you will too. I'll share a bit more about Jill and then we'll jump right in. Jill lives in Fargo, North Dakota with her husband and three children, Kate, who is seven, Cooper, who is four, and June, who is two. She owns a power sports business and is on the board of directors for Pray for Gray, which is North Dakota's only brain tumor organization, which will make a lot more sense once you hear more of her story with her daughter, Kate. Jill is a lover of books and spending time at the lake. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. I'm so excited to talk about sleep deprivation because it affects so many of us. And sleep is one of those things I think that like we don't think about if we're getting enough sleep, but if you're not getting enough sleep, it's like your body is just in this mode of, I have to get more sleep. Like that's pretty all consuming. And so I'm excited to shed light on this and help other parents who are dealing with similar things know that they're not the only ones and to feel that solidarity. So I would love to start out with you sharing your story with your daughter, Kate, and kind of like the lens of sleep, like how your sleep has been affected and parts of her story that affected your sleep. Sure. So Kate's seven years old. And when she was born, she came out and she made this funny little noise. And the nurses commented on this noise she was making. And they said they'd never heard such a vocal baby. So on night two in the hospital, they ended up taking her out of my room because she made this noise all night long and they wanted me to get some sleep. So it started Mm. on basically day one. (laughs) So... We took this baby home and she would make this noise all night long, all day long. And sometimes it would last for six to 21 hours was the longest one we had. And it would be every seven to 12 seconds, she would make this noise for three to five seconds long. Wow. And so I would stay up all night because I felt guilty, like I'm exhausted, but my poor baby can't sleep. So why should I sleep? So we kept bringing her into the doctor and they told us we had a colicky baby. Someone just told us we had a difficult baby or maybe she'd have some behavioral issues later on in life. 
autism was even thrown around in some of these appointments and we were never really given answers. So fast forward to lots of misdiagnosis. Eventually when she was 11 months old, they found a brain tumor called the hypothalamic hamartoma. And with the hypothalamic hamartoma comes a type of seizure called the gelastic or decristic seizure. And they come across as either laughing or crying. And they last only a few seconds, typically. So <laughs> we would take her in and be like, she keeps making this noise. We think she has this seizure associated with this tumor. And we eventually finally got that diagnosis. And then I wasn't sleeping because my child was seizing all night long. So mm-hmm. why should I be able to sleep when she's suffering? So it was like a lot of guilt. You know, I just yeah. didn't feel like I should sleep if she shouldn't. Yeah. or couldn't. When she was 19 months old, the seizure was resected at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Um, they have a program specifically for this tumor. And we knew going into this surgery that she was going to have a lot of complications from it, but we needed, we had hope that the surgery would stop the gelastic seizure she was having. So mm-hmm. we had the surgery And the night after surgery was the first full night of sleep in her life. So, oh my gosh. And she was 19 months old. 19 months old, yeah. Oh my goodness. So then we were in Phoenix for two months. We come back home, and then I'm still not sleeping because now we know that with this surgery, these children, their seizures can come back or other forms of seizures could pop up. So, then I'm staring at this monitor all night long, waiting for this time to come. And it was, it's always been in the back of my mind. So we went five years, three months, and one day seizure free. And we're still very grateful for every second we had. And then this last July, our dog woke us up in the middle of the night and we found Kate upstairs having a clonic, clonic seizure. Oh and so gosh. she's been having seizures ever since. So we're kind of traveling back down that path. She's not having those gelastic seizures anymore. And for that, we are grateful because those are not treatable with medication and Mm. there's no more surgery options for Kate. Another issue she got from the surgery is something called hypothalamic obesity, which is a lot of Prater Willie kids struggle with hunger. So Kate doesn't have a hunger mechanism. So she would wake up in the middle of the night and go seek food. So we've always kind of been watching that monitor and trying to keep an eye on her and try to catch her before she comes downstairs for food, things like that. So we're always taking these precautions to try to make our sleep a little bit better because sleep is so important. Yeah, I feel like that is so such a difficult place to be in like with sleep because when you're in that mode of feeling guilty, like, oh my gosh, my baby's suffering right now and how could I just lay here and sleep while she's suffering? And even if there's nothing you can do about it, but I can totally see why that would be so hard to sleep. And then later to be in that mode of trying to monitor her and make sure she's safe during the night and that she's not getting the food. I mean, like you can't fully relax. And so to try to sleep during that in that state, I think is just, it's going to be, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. That's just not going to happen, right? Like how are you supposed to sleep if you're trying to stay half awake? So you, you wake up to the alarms or the monitors to help your child like it's just not going to happen right it's crazy and sleep's like the most important thing I go to therapy regularly and my therapist Carol she's fantastic and the first thing 
she asks me every time I come into her office is how's your sleep how are you sleeping and I'm like oh I'm trying <laughs> yeah and I think it does there's a reason why like your therapist is asking about that because it has such an impact on how we can like handle things emotionally Obviously, I'm not a sleep expert, but just where that prefrontal cortex activity where you just don't have access to that as much when you're sleep deprived and especially chronically sleep deprived. And so like, I don't know, I just feel like that's going to really impact your resiliency and how you're able to handle just life, like things, you know, being difficult and challenging and everything's more overwhelming when you're tired. So much more. (laughs) So some things that we've done to try to help us sleep. I can't speak for my husband. He sleeps pretty well. Oh. <laughs> he does wake up intermittently throughout the night. And then he has this bad habit of rolling over and going, is Kate okay? Oh. I'm like, I, I don't know. Instead of waking me up, you could check the monitor <laughs> to see if she's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I love him. But yeah, he's a, he's a worrier for sure. But yeah, we've done things like we have locks on our pantry. That's one thing we've done to help us sleep. We have alarms on our refrigerator. So anytime you open the doors, we would be alerted to that. We actually have a separate camera from our other two children. So Kate has like a Nest camera in her bedroom. And then we have a Google Home on our nightstand. So it's that fine balance of like, Mm. is this healthy for me to be recording her and seeing her all night? Is it making it worse because I'm staring at it all night? Or is it making it better because it's giving me peace of mind? So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. So we can always look back on the recording and our phones alert us to any motion in her room. So I feel like that has given us a little bit of a peace of mind, knowing that we have precautions in place. Mm -hmm. Any parent of a child with epilepsy will know that SUDEP is always the ultimate biggest fear. So yeah, that's always another thing that can cause sleepless nights, but can you dive into that a little bit? Because I'm not an epilepsy mom, so I don't know yeah, what like, SUDEP yeah. means. Sudden death from epilepsy. So oh. children and adults, people with epilepsy can have a seizure in the night that can cause them to pass away. Oh my gosh. So it's that. always like, you know, yeah. And we always you want to be with Kate to comfort her, although may, she may not know you're there during the seizure. You want to be there and you, you have to time it and you have to take notes and sometimes administer rescue medication. So you want to be there the second it starts. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So adding that, I think that's something that a lot of parents listening can relate with is like, what if my child passes away when I'm not there and I sleep through it? Right. Cause like it does happen. And so I think that's what's so scary. And I think it's also something that like a lot of people try to like comfort parents oh, it won't happen. Like, don't worry about it. I don't know if if you've had that before, but like, oh, she won't pass away. Like, don't think that way. But like, actually it does happen. It's a brutal way to like look at reality, but it like, it really, it's just what it is. And so I think living with that kind of in the back of our minds at all times is obviously going to impact everything, including trying to sleep and find like a relaxing state enough to fall asleep. Yeah, you want to be aware of these possibilities you know you still want to be positive but we can't ignore some of these comorbidities that come along with like our children's diagnoses and we need to know what can happen and find that balance of knowing but also not being having all these irrational thoughts about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. so for me I kind of go through like a checklist in my head at night of what could be stressing me out or 
what's causing me anxiety and like can I even do anything about that and mentally cross them off mm-hmm. or like even write them down like what are you worrying about right now and is this something I can do about nope and sometimes just crossing it off on paper or mentally crossing it off your list will help eliminate for me some of that anxiety and hopefully help me rest a little bit better that's such a good idea I love that yeah. so much because there is so much like so, outside of our control and trying to let go of some of those things obviously is easier said than done but I love the physical way of doing that I know that this is like not totally the same thing but like one thing too that my husband and I have been trying like when we are having a hard time sleeping with our minds buzzing and it's not even just like about Kimball but just about life yeah we try to also like do containing and anyone who's done therapy might know what this is but where you put things in containers and you like visualize a safe place and so like for my husband it's Laguna Beach, California, and he's sitting on the beach and it's he pictures like what it feels like on his skin to be there and the sounds and like just really visualizing somewhere really peaceful and that feels really safe to you. And then you visualize what kind of containers you have. So maybe like little boxes or for me, I like to have ornate, beautiful carved mahogany boxes for things that I feel like are really near and dear to me, but I need to not be thinking about when I'm trying to go to sleep. We just picture like lovingly placing these things in the boxes closing the lid and be like I'll deal with that another time and then putting the box down and then doing that like a separate box for each thing that is on your mind it's helped me a bit it's helped him a lot and so that's like one technique too I would just throw out there which reminds me of the checking off the list thing but just anything to be like not now I'm not gonna think about this right now yeah it like reassures you too that it's like a valid concern you Mm -hmm. just can't do anything about it at this moment yes it's like yeah of course I'm worrying about that or like makes sense like because you don't want to like bash yourself for these things a lot of these worries come from you know a place of love right right something with caregivers too is a lot of people are like why don't you go to a sleep doctor and get sleep medicine but as like a caregiver of a child with disabilities we can't be knocked out. We have to be coherent. You know, I just think back to that night in July when Kate had her seizure. If I were an individual on some sort of sleep medication, I may not have been alerted or been coherent enough to assist her or call 911 or start CPR. So yeah, it's just tough. And there are like so many other avenues that we can and should explore. And prioritize which I mean is really rich coming out of my mouth because (laughs) (laughs) I'm the the worst at prioritizing myself but I know I need to do better and it's important and take care Mm. of myself we all do yeah yeah and I guess that's like one thing too is when we're talking about sleep deprivation I'm very aware of the population of us too that our children don't necessarily have these medical emergencies that could happen during the night like Kate or kids who are maybe on like a trach and vent or things like that, but even just PTSD and like night terrors and things like, you know, Carly Henderson talked about in her episodes just recently, like that right there. I mean, that even that can be a reason to lay awake all night. You know, your child may be sleeping peacefully, but like we're tossing and turning and hyperventilating and I'll just put a nod in for that too. Like that whole facet of sleep deprivation. Or like our busy schedules, like all the therapies, Mm -hmm. all the appointments and laying in bed and like going through that schedule. Like, okay, what do I have to do tomorrow? We have OT, we have PT, you know, we have an endocrine appointment or whatever it may be. It's a lot. We carry a super heavy load and we need rest, but rest is hard. Yeah. Like just to put that load down. I mean, like 
I think that's just really difficult. Like, how do you take this huge, like if you picture like a really, really loaded backpack and to be able to like truly take that off while you're sleeping. I mean, that sounds so freeing if we can figure out how to do that, right? To take that big backpack off. And maybe that'd be a cool visualization. Be like, I'm taking this burden off for the night. Like I can sleep and maybe positive affirmations. Like I will wake up if my daughter needs me, you know, whatever you need to do, but just to try to take that load off for the night. I love that. And we don't have to put that backpack far away. We can set Mm -hmm. it on our nightstand. It'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll even be there in the night. If we need it, we can pick it back up. Yes. Because going back to like validating what we're worrying about, like this backpack is maybe difficult to carry, but it also represents all the loving care that we give for our children and the worry that we give our children because we love them so much. So like, obviously it's not something, I don't know. I feel like it's complicated because we can, resent that backpack I've definitely been there but to still be like but this is special and precious and it's not bad yeah for sure I'm loving that metaphor (laughs) I know and going back to Carly's episode really quick she did such a fantastic job and sometimes when I'm laying in bed and even if I'm feeling well but I know in the back of my mind I'm having like all these concerns and what ifs I might have a little bit of undiagnosed PTSD myself. I mean, I think we all experience a lot of that on different levels and that definitely has an effect on our ability to get good rest. Yeah. Can I tell a story really quick? This is bringing back a memory of when I was in, I know I talk about this a lot, but like that first year and a half with Kimball, like was, it was just, it was so hard. Yeah. And I got to this point where I wasn't sleeping, but it wasn't, I mean, he couldn't breathe super well. So it was, it felt similar to what you were talking about with Kate, where like, how can I sleep while she's uncomfortable and seizing? I had kind of like a guilt of like, how can I sleep while he's working really hard to breathe? And I know he's not comfortable, you know, that kind of feeling, but it wasn't even, I like, I got to the point where it was just like, I just couldn't sleep. I think I would get like four hours a night. And again, when you're in that state, like you're already dealing with so much crap if you can't sleep like right you have so much going on emotionally and then to not sleep everything just feels just despair I feel like despair sets in really easily and so that kept happening like night after night I just was not sleeping I was like oh I heard this quote once that when you can't sleep insomnia sometimes is when you have grief that's not dealt with and so I was like oh I need to go to a therapist finally about my dad who passed away from brain cancer two years ago. And so that's what I thought I was going to the therapist about. So I I was like, that's it. I need to sleep. Like, so that's what got me going to a therapist for the first time. And so I met my therapist, Rosie, who I've had on the show and I've talked about her before because I like love her. I'm obsessed with her. So I went to this therapist and it was so interesting because in talking to her, like we talked about my dad for like one half of a session. She was like, oh, actually you sound like you've dealt with this in a really healthy way. And then I realized like, oh, I'm here to talk about Kimball. Like I'm here to talk about all the trauma we've gone through. And so as we worked through that, like with specifically EMDR therapy is what helped me, I started sleeping again. Like that's how I could tell it was working. So I think it's just, it's interesting where it's like the stuff we go through, like it really needs to get processed. And I think sometimes our bodies, they take the hit of these emotional burdens that we're carrying undealt with trauma. And so I don't know, like the sleep, I'm sure there's some science behind this, but like the sleep is one of the things that our bodies are like unable to do when we get to that point of like, we need to work through this stuff that's going on. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. And (laughs) I feel like the trauma really can affect our sleep. 
For sure. And while you were saying that, I was just thinking, and I've said this before, my best nights of sleep are the days after I've had a therapy session. Oh my gosh. And it's almost like we brought that backpack to therapy and maybe pulled a few things out of it and like mm-hmm. left them with our therapist. Like, okay, yeah, we can leave a little bit of this here. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, I love that. I sleep my best after a good therapy. I mean, any therapy session, they're all good, but for sure. Yeah. For sure. Or even like a good cry. I don't know if you've had like a similar thing, but like if really letting out, having that release, just really yeah. like ugly crying, like crying, crying, crying. I feel like that's also a time that I feel like it's easier to sleep too. Cause you've, it's like you've released that, maybe taking that backpack off. I don't know. Like maybe that really does help us let it go for a minute. Cause we're like, we dealt with it we can put it down and go to sleep. Yes. I agree. I compartmentalize really bad. So those good cries don't come as often as they should. (laughs) But you are you are so right. You feel better and you sleep better after. It's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there any other tips that you wanted to share before we end this conversation that have come in handy, like either in getting better sleep or in coping with just living with less sleep? Because, you know, let's face it, that's some of our realities. So I wish I could give the tip of napping, right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of unrealistic, I guess. For me, it's like I have this guilt. I take a nap and I'm like, oh, I could have done so much more in that time because we're extra busy moms mm-hmm. and we have so much going on and all moms are busy. All parents are busy. It's wild. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my biggest thing is put your phone down, turn the TV off, less distraction and just try to meditate before bed and and make that mental or physical checklist and cross off the things that you simply cannot do anything about right now. Now that's my biggest thing. And therapy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Therapy. If you can. And yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Best thing ever. Yes. Okay. Let me like put this plug in too. Like listening to the podcast let's be honest like a lot of people said like this has been a form of therapy just hearing other people talk about this stuff and kind of processing through it that way and so taking advantage of that kind of thing and like talking to other parents or like seeking community this way or whatever I feel like that is therapeutic even if it's not therapy if you can't access traditional therapy yeah I'm a huge fan I'm an avid listener in my head you and I are already great friends And (laughs) my thing is, I like to listen to this podcast on Tuesday nights. And yeah, I just pop Mm -hmm. in my AirPods, the kids are in bed, and I just I clean and I forget I'm cleaning. Because Mm -hmm. I don't know, I just I don't feel alone. I feel like I have a sense of community. It's very, Mm -hmm. very therapeutic to listen to you and other people share their stories and just hear that we're we're not alone. We're all going through something. Yeah, it's been really helpful. But yeah, any any form of therapy and everybody has lots of different forms of therapy. For me, it's podcasting and reading books. And Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And even like journal writing. I mean, there just really are so many things we know we can do. And I feel like that's another hard thing about all this is a lot of times we know, like we know like, okay, I know I should be meditating or I know I should be journal writing and I should be going to therapy. But like when you're in that survival mode, I feel like at least for me, like, I don't want to do anything healthy. <laughs> like, no. I just want to sit and binge this TV show and eat crap and just do things yes. that will make me feel worse. But like, yeah, you know, to have the energy to do something that will help you feel better. Sometimes it's just feels a little out of reach. And, you know, I guess that's okay, too, to be in that state for a while, you know, as long as you yeah. need to be. But 
sometimes you just need to watch some trash reality TV on the couch. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, maybe that's your form of therapy or thinking back to the last episode, like numbing out. Sometimes you just have to. Yeah. And I love the attitude that Anna had of like, it's just a tool. You yeah. don't need to like think of it as a bad thing. It's just, you know, you can be neutral about it and, you know, know that choices have different effects on us so like if you can write down the list and check it off great do that if you have the energy or the wherewithal to do things that are healthier like that's awesome but if you don't like you're not a bad person and it's very understandable yeah okay well I would love to wrap up with a little pep talk that you can give other parents who are listening right now and are just like yes I get this I'm so tired I'm just so tired what would you like to say to those parents just to wrap up don't be hard on yourself your fears are totally normal and they're okay and they're valid and everybody's self-care and things that we're doing for ourselves to try to sleep better are going to look different and that's okay too just doing your best and if precautions need to be taken that are going to help you sleep better at night just do it and don't worry about what anyone else is going to think about you having alarms on your refrigerator or locks screwed into your pantry doors you just have to do it and survive and Hopefully we can get some better sleep <laughs> and get into therapy. And there are so many different ways you can do it. If it's not attainable, there are measures you can take. But yeah, 10 out of 10 would recommend therapy. Yes, I love that so much. I love everything you said. And let me just throw out there too. Like, So we mentioned this in an episode that I, when I interviewed my therapist way back, I think it was like episode 25. I'll put it in the show notes with the right number if that's not true. But my therapist was talking about how there are like almost every therapist out there will reserve a couple spots for patients who cannot pay and they will do it for free. And so I am willing to bet that if you go to like a therapist or, you know, if you have to visit several to ask, be like, I have a child with disabilities and I have a lot of trauma to work through. Like, I just feel like that's going to be something that'll really speak to them. And I think, you know, you could really find success in that and finding a therapist who wants to donate some of their time to help work through this. So if money is an issue, I just feel like that's a really good option too. So I guess this is about sleep, but I guess we're going to therapy a lot too. Therapy so we can sleep better. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So true. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jill. I loved how this episode turned out and I really hope that parents are feeling seen and maybe have a few ideas up their sleeve of things to try to get better sleep. So thank you. Yeah, and I would love to hear other people's recommendations or things that they have found that have helped them. Yes, yes. Join us on Instagram. My account is at the underscore rare underscore life because we're gonna we'll have some discussions going on like getting tips from each other because yeah I think that'd be a great idea to swap tips and tricks and all the things for sure. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Head to the website, therarelifepodcast.com to see adorable photos of Jill and her family. You can also follow her and me on Instagram. There are links in the show notes to do that. There are also links in the show notes for the three episodes that we mentioned in the conversation. Episode 25 with my therapist, Rosie. Episode 87 with Carly Henderson about PTSD and mental health, and for episode 88 about numbing out. 
join us next week for season five's finale episode. These are always fun. We'll hear from three listeners who share the impact of season five on them personally. I'll share some exciting updates about the podcast itself, and I'll give you a little peek into what you can expect in the upcoming weeks and months. Don't miss it. See you then.